It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? Feel me? They can see it in my eyes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of my Untitled Podcast. My guest this week is Jason Wisdom of Death Therapy, formerly of Becoming the Archetype. Ran into some issues this week uh, with this episode. I recently ended up getting a new software that records Skype and or FaceTime audio. When trying to deal with that, I noticed that my levels were all over the place and wonky, and whenever Jason was actually talking, it picked up onto my microphone as well, thus creating kind of like a weird echo effect. So I went through this episode a couple of times and took out a lot of the uh, parts where I wasn't talking and just dropped the audio down so Jason's a lot more clear and you're not hearing the background noise of whatever it is I was doing, speaking of background noise, that goes an email. So with that being said, if it sounds like I'm not present in the conversation, it's it's more so the audio is a little wonky, so I just kind of cut it out. Wanted to take the time also to apologize for not getting on an episode as quickly as I would like to have last week, but I ended up going to see uh, Kill Switch Engage and Anthrax on the tour that they're currently doing as it rolled through town here, and a friend of mine knows those uh, the Kill Switch dudes. <clears throat> ended up going to the show and hanging out and kind of catching up with a, an old friend of mine and meeting some new friends and just kind of having a good time at a show and that was kind of the day that I would have posted but it was really cool and I got to like I said meet and hang with some some cool people that uh, are friends of uh, my friend Rush uh, who will be on this podcast soon uh, he put out a documentary or hasn't been out hasn't come out yet but it's about to come out soon called Father of the Flame it's a documentary about uh, pipe smoking I've seen a clip of it, at least the trailer, and it looked really interesting, and I'm not even one for smoking out of pipes. So it was kind of cool to hang out with Rush and and all the dudes. See Kill Switch from side stage, which is awesome, and during which uh, their tech slash tour manager, Josh, noticed my Wawa tattoo and ended up talking about that for a little bit. And I had actually said that he was someone I kind of wanted to get on the podcast just due to him being a tech and then working his way up through to being a tour manager for one of the bigger bigger metal bands around right now and he also does stuff for Dropkick Murphys as well and a few other bands so I feel like he's got a lot of interesting stories to tell from being on the road and working with a variety of different artists so hopefully when this tour is done in the next I think three four weeks or so uh, be able to get him on the podcast uh, soon enough and speaking of Anthrax as well I also ended up seeing uh, Willie from uh, the Wilson camp Uh, Willie is their tour manager always cool to run into people that you know know friends of friends uh, while they're on tour and doing and doing really good and big things so it's good seeing him even if it just for a minute and I'm gonna keep this one short so without further ado here is my talk with Jason Wisdom have uh jason wisdom formerly of becoming the archetype and currently of uh death therapy how are you doing this evening doing awesome man how about you doing good dinner was good and kept up on some of the football stuff going on with the uh the recent acquisitions not accusations acquisitions of uh some of the football teams lately the yeah who's your who's your 
Who's your team? You've got an Atlanta Braves hat on. So I I'm do. That's, that's my baseball team. Honestly, I'm more of a Michigan football fan as opposed to a specific team. So really, anybody yeah. that's got a Michigan player on it, I, I kind of root for. Which kind of sounds like a, a cop-out since obviously Tom Brady being from Michigan makes it seem like I, I'm a bandwagon fan. But uh, as a Michigan fan, I can attest that Tom Brady was nowhere near the quarterback that he has become. Uh, and I think any, any person who's really been a fan of uh, Michigan football will tell you that we are probably all as equally surprised as everybody else about how his, uh, how his uh, legacy has unfolded over well, the last decade plus. Well, being an Atlanta person, um, living, I live in Atlanta, um, I'd really rather not talk about Tom Brady right now. So, so yeah, Death Therapy is a band, and I, I do that. So let's not talk about the Super Bowl at all. <laughs> well... It was. It was at least for those non-rooting for a specific team. It was. It was very interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it was very entertaining for everyone, other than, other than me, <laughs> uh, and everyone collectively in Atlanta who had all of their hopes dashed once again. Maybe it'll be uh, the foundation for a strong dynasty for many years to come because I think everyone's locked up for a while. Yeah. So, I kind of had just asked you, uh, but I wasn't recording. What uh. Death Therapy, I kind of latched onto because the, the name sounded familiar and I, I couldn't really remember why upon listening to the album about a week ago when it first came out. Uh, but then I heard you on the uh, As the Story Goes podcast and you made a quick reference to it being What About Bob? Within that, uh, in that movie, and I believe it was an, a deleted scene or an edited scene, so I don't know if it, and it's been so long since I've seen the movie, if it was an actual scene in the movie that everyone can have the reference for, but... Oh yeah, it's a, it's it's definitely in the it's definitely in the movie, and it's on the movie. I think is currently on Netflix. So if you if you need a good uh, Bill Murray classic Bill Murray movie in your life, go watch What About Bob. And the uh, sort of the pivotal scene towards the end of the movie is where the name comes from. Uh, I won't I won't spoil it for anybody, but but yeah, it, um, we were talking about how. So on the one hand, it's a really goofy name. Um, on the other extreme, there are people who are like, death therapy, wow, that's a really dark and gloomy kind of name. And I don't think either one of those extremes really does justice to what the name has become to mean for me, which is sort of the, I was as I was saying, the therapeutic value of like laying my issues out there on the table, um, processing through them. You know, that's a form of death kind of like, and then coming back from that, you know, putting sort of putting the pieces back together, sort of a death and resurrection kind of thing almost um, through personal examination. So, yeah, that's the therapeutic part. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm always a little skeptical of any heavy band that tries to put the word death in their name because it's kind of like, it's kind of like, really, are you, are you really going to do that? Like, you know, there's one band, you know, there's one band called death and, they kind of deserve it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it sounds familiar to you and I'm hoping that maybe it's an easy to remember name for people, you know, like I, I started sweating it at first. It's kind of like, man, I don't know. Is this name corny? Is it too weird? And then I was like, man, some of the band names that are out there, I'm, I'm just not even going to think about it. <laughs> so. Were, were there ever any other potential band names for this or was it always something you knew was going to become, Death therapy. Uh, I didn't really ever have any prime candidates, so it was really the, the way I approached this whole album and project 
to this point was a very stream of consciousness kind of like hands off almost like approach like let's just throw the paint at the wall and see what comes out kind of thing as opposed to what I used to write for becoming the archetype everything was super organized planned you know technical kind of thing this has just been a this has been a super I don't know you can, you might also almost say like experiential ex, or experimental experience for me so it was really fun upon going through the record because uh upon sending this interview up I had about a about a week to to get familiar with the the, the material subtitles though I there's obviously a, a very uh I don't know if dense is the, the, the word I'm looking for, but a very, uh, as I say, it's not quite apocalyptic, but a lot of heavy themes of uh, kind of dealing with self-doubt and right. just kind of, I try not to read in, like, especially with a newer band, I try not to read too much into what the person has done in another band or what the messages of the old band used to be, because obviously it's not that band, it's a new entity. But with that being said, it's a little bit harder when you are the vocalist of both bands. So obviously some of your, your ideals and such are, are carrying forth from one to the other, or at least, you know, I, I kind of have wondered that. Because it definitely seems to be a struggle with, I would say, with what yourself, maybe with faith, your your faith or the faith in general of Christians uh, as, a, as a broader spectrum. Am I kind of hitting that, or am I reading? Yeah, no, yeah, I think you're on the right track. No, man, I just decided that, you know, I'm going to just totally sell out so I can, like, get really popular. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, got to go that route. Um, but no, I mean, this record was really, you know, becoming the archetype for the people who don't know the band I was in before. And the the lyrics for that were all pretty almost stereotypical uh, Christian metalcore kind of apocalyptic lyrics and uh, concept albums and stuff like that. With, um, with this one, I'm not, you know... When we did that first record, I was 20 years old. I think I can remember. I can remember when we would go on tour and like try to get like a hotel room, and none of us were old enough to get out. You know, like so. A lot has changed since then. I'm not 20 anymore. Um, I'm 33. And in in metal years, that's like, or like at least in new band metal years, that's like ancient. Like, wow, you're starting a new band. You're 33. What's wrong with you? Um, but uh, so yeah, I mean, in that time, I've I've grown up a lot. I've uh, I've experienced a lot of personal doubts, struggles, um, you know, depressions, whatever you want to call it. I mean, just real life stuff. And probably one of the biggest things that frustrates me about the way Christians approach doing art, especially in music with lyrics and stuff, is that they feel like they have to sort of cover up or sugarcoat things to make them seem pretty. And um, with this record, I just kind of wanted to lay it all out there and let it be what it is. And I, I actually think people from both sides or all sides of the spectrum can appreciate it more when it's done that way, if that makes sense. Do you feel like it's always kind of been that way? Like even, I mean, being in the band so so early, do you, do you always feel like it was that way that you had to approach things lyrically or just kind of has been more... Um, Something you kind of, kind of, you start thinking about more as you get older and start applying it to the greater, the grander scheme of, of one's life. It's more, I mean, at least now, I mean, it's it, to me, it was just a, na it was natural. I mean, 
I guess the whole way I approach this band has just been sort of the natural way, if that makes any sense. Like, I've just kind of been like, okay, I'm just going to write what kind of comes out. And so I was able to sort of stand back after the record was done, actually, and make observations about it, um, which is a really cool, a really cool experience. Like I said, it, it, it's a little bit like, a, you know, an artist who does a painting by just like throwing paint at the wall and then he can kind of stand back. And um, even though he did it, he kind of gets a fresh interpretation. So for me, it was like I stood back and could look at this and go, yeah, here's what really happened on this record. Um, I just kind of poured out my guts on it. Didn't clean it all, didn't clean it all up. Um, but that, that was intentional and I think it turned out really well. So, um, you know, predictable kind of answers to stuff. So I actually was going to say with starting a new band, but having ties to an old one, were you kind of, were you worried initially when starting this new record and, and as it, you ended up picking up getting signed by solid state, were you worried that of the preconceived notion of who, who other people thought you should be or what you would be? Was that ever something that you kind of took into account when starting this new band? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I mean, uh, you know, it had been almost five years since I did anything with Becoming the Archetype. And I think a lot of people have, in that time, I know it sounds weird, but like Becoming the Archetype was always a, a band that drew fan of you know, tidy everything up and light at the end of the tunnel, older than sort of the norm. Right. So like if a band, I don't know, you just pick a band that's popular, really popular right now. Um, I guess Bring Me the Horizon uh, is one of the few. Bring Me the Horizon. Okay. Bring Me the Horizon is a good example. Uh, their fan base is probably predictably 18 to like 25 is like the big chunk of their fan base. Like if you go to their shows and you're like over 25, you, you still feel a little bit old, even though those, even though those, <laughs> Even though those guys are older now, um, well, they're older than they used to be. But my point is, Becoming the Archetype, even when we were like 20, our fans were like 25 to 40. Um, so what I'm getting at is, after those five years went by, I get a feeling that a lot of those people um, kind of went through the natural phases of like growing out of listening to metal. Not that, not that everybody does that, but I think there's a lot of people who listen to metal and hardcore and death metal or whatever when they're in their like, you know, mid twenties. And then they like, I don't, for whatever reason, grow up and grow out of it and listen to Keith Urban or something after that. Um, (laughs) Hopefully not. But what I'm saying is even if they still like metal, it's almost like they drop off, like paying attention to what's new out there a lot of times. So all of that to say, I don't think there's been a ton of people actually come come on board with expectations from becoming the archetype for this. I think, I think some people were just like happy to hear that I was doing some new music. Um, they were a little bummed when I wasn't screaming all the time or when there weren't any blast beats. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, that's, there's just not that many people um, that know about this yet. If that makes any sense. Like we, we really are still kind of like a, an unknown band, even though, you know, two weeks after our record came out or a week and a half after our records come out, like we really are, are very, very unknown still. So we'll see how it goes. How has the reception been so far? I know it looked like you put out another lyric video today or, or yesterday. 
there's a music video actually that came out on Revolver magazine. Um, our first music video came out yesterday. So that the reception has been awesome. I mean, people have been super positive so far about everything, um, which, uh, again, I have to wonder if part of that is because we really are still kind of in this like small um, sphere of like my personal friends and like super fans kind of thing. Right. You know, there's like a few hundred Jason Wisdom like Klingon super fan type people who like, (laughs) you know, knew me from becoming the archetype. They found me on Facebook once upon a time and they've just like thought that I was the greatest thing in the world, which I appreciate those people for that. But I also like try to let them know, (laughs) like, I'm not, uh, there's nothing that special going on with me. Like, um, today I had mini corn dogs with ketchup for lunch. So, I mean, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not, I'm not floating around two inches off the ground somewhere. Anyway, my, my long story short of that is I'm really encouraged how well people have responded. Like everybody's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, but I wonder how it's going to get received when it kind of makes it out more to the general world. You know, when like it was posted, the music video was posted on Revolver. Okay, well, Revolver is a pretty, pretty big general market site. Well, nobody commented on the video. Do you follow me? Yep. Like what I'm kind of getting at is like, it was there, but it didn't but react. That, it didn't have a reaction. I don't it. know. I don't know that people actually are getting it yet. You know what I mean? I don't know that they're actually people outside of the little bubble of um, that already know about it. So, but oh, I was gonna say this has been kind of an interesting uh, promo plan per se. There wasn't a huge expectation for the record right away that this is definitely gonna be something for the audience to find. That this is gonna be something that they know is going to be, you know, a long haul for people to, you know, with the rollout of the record, putting out a video that, you know, a week after it's been put out officially uh, and so forth. So it seems like, you know, you had said, like, if we did a thousand units the first week, like, that'll be a re- like a monster success because the, the expectations aren't so huge coming right out the door. Um, do you feel like with, with this being a new band, kind of a new extension of, of the art that you've created, do you feel like this is going to help you further on down the road to have a, a longer touring cycle or whatever behind this to, to kind yeah, of really allow I mean, it to grow and become what it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we've definitely done, we've done everything we can to push the record. Um, and the, the record label has, I mean, they did, uh, the music video, like I said, just came out and, um, you know, people just don't buy records the way they used to. I mean, suicide silence is kind of making a big stink, <laughs> o- stink over that right now. They're so, presence in in everything that you're almost like god I just please go away like i i'm done seeing right. you and i or feel i think like... people just assume that that they're huge and like i mean you know i mean i don't i'm not running out to buy you know physical copies of of you know of a band that i think is like you know just ginormous i'm like well whatever i mean they don't need me to buy the record i can like stream it online it doesn't matter but like my favorite local, you know, or more DIY kind of band, I might feel more inclined to buy their vinyl or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the goal, the long-term goal for this is, you know, the long game is to make it something sustainable, something that, like, we can we can do a, another record, we can do an EP, we can do more things uh, maybe more often and get sort of a collective um, grassroots kind of, thing going which i think is probably the best way now i mean 
even if I was in a band like Suicide Silence, I'd be thinking about how soon can we get to a place where we've got like a sustainable, almost crowdsourcing kind of way to do our records in the future. Cause obviously the big machine didn't, didn't do what they wanted it to do. Um, and I mean, the, the rec- I'm not trying to say anything there. Our record labels treated us amazing. And that's not the point. The point is the industry has just changed. It's just changed. That's all there is to it. But it doesn't mean that suicide silence or whoever can't still be successful. Um, I mean, they play for a ton of people when they go out and play um, and they have lots of connections and lots of opportunities to be on huge tours. So they've just got to kind of reevaluate for anybody who wanted to talk about the suicide silence. I think they've just got to reevaluate. And I'm sure that's what they're doing right now. I'm sure they're literally sitting around like we're just brainstorming, which is good. That's what any business does and love it or hate it. That's what bands are. They're businesses. And so Death Therapy is a new band. You know, you mentioned, I guess it was in another podcast, I must have said the thing about if we do a thousand, a thousand sold first week, we'd be stoked. I mean, that's, yeah, we would be. We, we didn't quite make a thousand um, with with what the actual numbers were. But the more we tour, the more we get out there, I think we'll, you know, we'll get there. It's going to be a slower process, but um, it's kind of fun to be new. Like with Becoming the Archetype, um we sold a lot of records over the over the years because it was before, you know, before streaming kind of became the thing. And, um, you know, we were early 2000s into mid 2000s. People were still selling a lot more records um, back then. So people know that stuff. And if we did another BTA record, like it's just a different feeling for me to have like a whole new thing that is just not the same. Like everybody consistently is, is who reviews the record keeps saying like, yeah, this definitely isn't becoming the archetype. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, and so that's kind of fun for me is like, okay, c- can I make this work? You know, it's like, I don't know. It's like a, a guy who makes tennis shoes for a living and then decides he's going to make, you know, blenders or something. It's like a totally different world. <laughs> um, I mean, in mentioning BTA and, and now double therapy, in the few years that you had been off from, you know, being in the, the active touring band, you know, world, dealing with labels and so forth, did, have you, I mean, I know you had talked about, and I'm probably going to really blank on the name, the, it wasn't really like an artist collective, but it was like the, the job you had had where you basically Rifle. had Rifle. But in dealing with that, like, obviously you had ties kind of to more of the, the record, the recording industry and touring bands and so forth. Have you been kind of surprised at how, how much has changed in the time that you've been you know, not involved or not really at all? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely surprising. And I'm, you know, learning kind of as we go. I mean, I don't want to sound like the, the old fart on the block, you know, like get off my lawn kids. But I mean, things have definitely changed, but I mean, during that time as well, like you said, I was still involved in, um, working with bands, some through RIFO and, um, going to music festivals and, and stuff. So, I mean, I, I feel like I've, you know, six years, five years is a long time, but for most of that time, I was still kind of involved and cognizant of what was going on. I may not be as aware of like who all the new bands are on the scene that are popular. Um, but I feel like I kind of still have an idea of how it works. And I mean, it worked, like I say, it's actually all businesses are kind of learning that. I mean, 
every industry has changed if you think about it. I mean, the way all businesses do stuff. I mean, you can you can sell your business now for more money if you have more YouTube subscribers. It's crazy how things have just changed. So I kind of look at it that way and I've approached it that way is like, how can I create this as a, as a, as a band that I love, but also as an entity that makes sense going forward, having a band of like five dudes, um, who are all 30 in their thirties and have kids and wives and careers is just not possible. So I had to basically (laughs) scrap that as a business model and figure something else out. Um, so that's why we're a two-piece band, um, and and really, if you were to break it down, a one-piece band. It's it's basically my band, um, and I have a drummer that uh, that I hire to come with me and play, um, and a, and a friend that does a lot of like keyboard and programming stuff that work with me on the record. So yeah, actually, that's a good segue into what I was gonna ask. Really, in doing some of the other interviews that I found, you know, you've kind of discussed. I know the lyrical concept and, and kind of even if you go over, it's like I said, story, as the story grows uh, podcast, you, you literally have an album breakdown song by song and, and what all the lyrics mean. But something I kind of wanted to delve more into with you it, it was your influences. Like uh, in the last few years, you've seen a lot more uh, non-traditional style bands pop up. And I'm thinking of kind of like Josh Scogan with uh, 68 with it, him just being a guitar and drums. And he has a, a very... Uh, it looks very simple, but I know, I understand it's a pretty complex guitar bass rig through a lot of pedals and stuff like that. And oh yeah, it's for... definitely not as it's not as unique as as some people would think. I mean, when we play, and people are like, oh, a two person band, wow, so unique. It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, not as unique as it would have been fifteen years ago. I mean, but uh, but it, yeah, I mean, but as my influ- good. You were you were asking you were asking influences, right? Uh, well, I mean. It. Yeah, yes and no. Okay, so here's what I mean by that. Yes, because rock and roll bands doing a two-piece and metal bands doing a two-piece thing or a stripped-down thing is sort of unusual. But unlike the White Stripes or 68 or Royal Blood or you name it, unlike those bands... Death Therapy is also largely an industrial band. And in the world of industrial music, it's actually more rare to find a band. Um, it's more common that you'll find one dude with a laptop or, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Or a guy with a guitar and backing tracks. Um, that's the industrial music, goth music, whatever scene you want to call it has been, I mean, it's been, 20, 30, maybe more years of just sort of being ahead of the curve on that sort of like, hey, we're going to use technology to simplify this and do it differently. So, so yeah, seeing those bands kind of make made me think a little bit of like, yeah, I could I could do uh, a metal band with just me and a drummer, but also because I wanted those industrial influences, it just to me it just made sense. It was kind of like, um, I mean, there are industrial bands that you know, have lots of people in the band. I'm thinking of um, pig face right off, right off the bat. Right. But there's, but you know what I mean? There's also more sort of your, like your, your Trent Reznor's of the world that like have a band, but like everyone knows it's Trent Reznor, you know what I mean? And like, or Marilyn Manson who like started out as more just like a, a dude 
doing, you know, backing track. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, and those are definitely influences for what I'm doing, you know, uh, mid to late nineties, uh, industrial rock kind of stuff, Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails, um, you know, and then some, because I'm a bass player and, uh, the record is really focused on bass grooves and drum stuff, you know, bands like Rage Against the Machine and Project 86 and, um, stuff like that, big influences for me. You had said on, that when you were starting this record, there was a, was it a camper or an RV? Basically yeah. a, that's an ancillary area for you to go, uh, and just kind of write with you kind of doing this record solo but as you said like you had people contributing like you know the keys and stuff like that and the synths and all that was it kind of hard to to self-edit as you're kind of writing you know not having other people to bounce some of these ideas off per se um like when oh, you're man, writing no, that's with a the band. best part man forget other people <laughs> no, I'm just like i'm gonna do what i want man um well yeah i know what you're saying and and yeah to a certain extent it's it is kind of hard because it's kind of like you're asking you're asking your producer like hey man what do you think about this part and like that's not his job normally i mean he's at least the guy that i work with his name is matt mcclellan matt mcclellan's super super good at everything he does but he's more kind of a hands-off kind of like you know let the artist do what they're gonna do kind of thing and so i'm sitting there with him going well maybe we should change this part what do you think about this and he's kind of looking at me like well what's up to you man <laughs> um but uh but yeah, to a certain extent it's also very freeing to be able to just do what do what I want to do and not have to argue and scream and fight and get egos bent all out of shape with other people. Um, you know, over, Oh, we don't like that time signature or dude, that feel was really lame. It's kind of like when you're, when you're doing it your way and you kind of bring in a drummer to play you can be like, okay, well I want you to play this fill. And he's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, as opposed to, uh, the, tr the more traditional way, which, has worked out so well. I mean, just classically, I mean, if you just look at all these bands, like none of them ever fight or break up or have feuds or, you know, 40 year, you know, not talking <laughs> to each other spells. So when, when you were writing stuff for this record, you, you know, you talked about finding a groove or being able to kind of lock in on, on a, a vibe with any of the writing, were you ever thinking of how the song, like maybe, a part doesn't quite come across on the record, but you know live it's it's people are gonna hopefully get it. That yeah, most of this record was written for live stuff actually. I mean we didn't we didn't like the, the the we were playing shows for a year before the record got done. So um did that help kind of in the, the process of shaping some of the songs? Oh yeah. Yeah for sure because to me you can get you can get confused when you're writing something for the record, what's gonna work in a live setting and then you play it live and you're like, Oh, that turned out really boring or that part was really like there, there's riffs on BTA records that we like, we looked back after we played them live and we're like, Oh man, we totally should have slowed that part down on the record. It would have been way heavier. Um, <laughs> well, we didn't ever have that problem cause it was kind of like, I picked all the tempos and made all that we worked on all the backing tracks and everything for the live purposes. And if it was, if it wasn't working, we went back and changed it for the live purposes. So by the time I got in the studio, it was like, well, here's the tempos. Here's how it sounds. Here's how it goes. Let's just lay the bass tracks down. And we'll do like, we did the drums last. Oh, really? Um, so yeah, I mean, it was like, we, we, we already knew so much of how exactly it was going to sound from playing it live that it was like, 
we'll just do the we'll do the bass first. We'll lay the keys in there. We'll do some vocals and we'll build the drums last and put put the drums into the you know into what we're doing kind of thing. So yeah, man. Do you feel that moving forward with whatever new music you end up doing, do you feel like that's going to be the process? Just kind of because that's how it seemed to really work and make a, a very cohesive like record as far as like being able to play it live, knowing these parts work really well as opposed to just overwriting and overthinking the parts to then find out, like you said, with VTA, like, well, we, we wish we could have redone that now in hindsight of seeing how this works in a live setting. I, I don't know. Uh, that's because I approached this record so nonchalantly and just differently for myself. I have no idea what the next one's going to be like. Uh, I've already got ideas for songs and stuff, but I haven't written anything yet. And it'll probably be the same way. Um, probably. It just makes the most sense. We'll just, you know, we'll pre-pro everything out um, before we play them live. Because when you're playing with backing tracks, you kind of have to pre-production stuff even <laughs> yeah. before you play it live. So, but yeah. The, the last two tracks on the record are um, themed around Castlevania. And it was kind of interesting because I, as I kind of was picking up on it, it then kind of went into the 8-bit kind of sounding part uh-huh. of the, 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 the last song. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what really solidified. I was like, I really think, th- I think this is kind of Castlevania theme. I think the the song titles actually, I think are a reference to one of the characters. Uh, right. The main character. Yeah. From Simon Belmont. Yeah. From what is it? Castlevania two. Castlevania two. Well, he's, he's the main character pretty much in all of them. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, it's Castlevania two is where you get the whole di- night and day system, which was really revolutionary at the time for the video games. Um, but yeah, some people I think have have taken it a little too far and have thought that I was trying to like literally ca- cover a Castlevania song. No, 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 no. And it's like, I mean, I know you don't think oh, that. Okay. I'm just saying for people who, like, some people on YouTube are like, "This song's lame. It's not as good as the real Castlevania." And I'm like, guys, <laughs> I was just, I was just writing a song that I thought sounded like a cool eight bit tribute to the video games I loved when I was a kid. So whether it's Castlevania or the original Zelda or Final Fantasy or Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever the games I played when I was growing up. That's what I was shooting for with the last two tracks on this record. And there's even some kind of Donkey Kong sounding noises that are in there. Yeah, like the weird, like, yeah. um, my son's practicing his vocals in the background now. Too. <laughs> Have you, I mean, obviously with talking to the, the lineage of the, there it is talking to there the lineage of, uh, coming along nicely. <laughs> Uh, the lineage of like some of the video games you played from the early 90s and whatnot, and even, I guess, further back. Have you ever wanted to kind of incorporate that kind of a, that's, that kind of a sound or a, a, an, like a nod, like a subtle nod even to it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, BTA did, a, uh, BTA did a music video for a song called The Magnetic Sky. It was for the last record I did with them. And it's totally an 8-bit like video game music video. So... It was kind of always there, something that I, you know, wanted to know, like I wanted. And here's the thing. BTA, Becoming the Archetype, I keep referencing because that's where I spent 10 years of my life, is, you know, we had lots of keyboards, um, you know, stuff. And I mean, most of those video games are all just like, if you were to change the sounds and make them not like MIDI bleeps and bloops and stuff, you know, actually put in like string pads and other organic sounds. I mean, those would be epic metal records. I mean, you know what I mean? They'd be, they would be like, you know, sound like Nightwish or something or like a Dream Theater or Dragon Force, a lot of those kinds of things. So, 
Um, so for me, it was just natural to do stuff that is influenced by the games. Sorry, I apologize. I may, I may have to run in a minute because the kids seem like they're literally getting closer and closer to crawling <laughs> into my face. No, that's fine. I guess, <laughs> Sorry, man. No, it's totally fine. Um, as I was going to say, we're pretty much at my last question anyway, just because I, I figured with it being late and you having kids, it probably needed to be a little little bit quicker with this. Um, you making me sound so I think you're only maybe a year or two older than me. So There you go. Um, you're so... <laughs> um, mm. Touring, I mean, you kind of already have talked about it. Yeah. Obviously, as, as we've heard throughout this whole thing uh, with your kids and obviously having a family life, what does touring look like for you now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. Um, it's not like it would be for a group of young single dudes with no attachments, but um, that's part of the helpful nature of it being two guys again because not having to get everybody on the same page is a little bit easier. Um, we're, we are, we've got a lot of stuff scheduled for the summer festivals, hopefully putting together some tours between those actually just today. Um, it was announced that we're, we're doing a West coast tour with the band red and wolves at the gate. And so that's exciting. Um, that's coming up here in like a couple weeks. Um, we're leaving for that, and that would be really fun because Death Therapy hasn't had a chance to make it out to the West Coast yet. And um, sorry, not coming to Michigan though. But rats, um, I really want to. You got to wait for the weather to break. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's just too cold. But um, but yeah, I mean, touring is it's going to be a different kind of thing. But um, I'm hoping that we can make it work. I think we can. I mean, one of the the beauties of again like i said being a two-person band we did this last year we had some festivals that we played where we literally just flew just two of us we got in a plane and flew out there and played and flew back borrowed gear when we were there and flew back and i mean you can't do that if you're a brand new band and there's five guys in your band there's no way you could afford plane tickets but if there's just two of you you can kind of almost make it cost the same or less than your gas um so I think, I think we got, I think we got it and I or hopefully have a, a plan that'll work and I just want to play shows. I mean, it's been so many years since, I mean, we toured in November, we toured with Project 86 on the East coast and that was a lot of fun, but it was a short tour. And so I can't wait to start playing more shows and letting people hear the music. Cause I, I literally think, I literally think we have the potential to like, double or quadruple the number of people who even know that we exist um just by playing a few shows because right now it is like me and you and that those three guys that listen to your podcast <laughs> no, i'm just kidding no you're, I don't, not, I don't, you're not far I, from the truth <laughs> i mean I'm very, like as much well, when as I did, you're when at... i did trap when i did trap's podcast he was like so there's like these 14 subscribers i have and i was like oh man oh but i listen i know the feeling so our record sales were three albums. That was my mom, my grandma. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's all the people that bought our record. I was going to say, with it being, obviously, having to be tied to a, a proverbial grid with, a, you know, having backing tracks or, you know, whatever, being to a click or whatever on the live setting, are you going to have, like, a light show as well? Like that would be awesome, but right now we're literally just as DIY as we can be. Like, if, if we can get to the place and set up and play, we're happy. Like, 
I can't bring a crew with me, but I hope eventually we could do all kinds of visual stuff like, um, maybe video stuff along with light show kind of stuff. I mean, that would be a goal one day, but, um, have you kind of thought about that already? I mean, this, oh, seems, yeah, this sure. very much leans itself to, to a very, uh, visceral live show, uh, very okay. much like a, like you said, like a nine inch nails or whatever. Yeah, man, I would definitely like to do that eventually. I don't know that, uh, when you're the opening band. No way, uh, man. I've seen that on so we, many local shows. People bringing their best friend's lighting rig and setting oh, it up. <laughs> Listen, that, that may be one of my biggest pet peeves. No, I mean, if it works for them, great. But right now, we're just doing it straight up DIY. Like, we try to be low maintenance and, and just roll. And, and hopefully, one day, we'll get to that level. I think this is at the time, usually, where you get to plug your socials, where people can find you. Woo! Well, we, we are on the socials, so if you go to normal social things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you look for us, you can be one of the first people to follow us, <laughs> because nobody does. Um, no, I mean, there was actually a podcast I did the other day, and the guy was Josh. like, or, uh, he was, oh. they were just... No, no, wait, hold on. It was it wasn't a it was a podcast where they talked about us. It, I didn't do an interview. It was the uh, Ian Hates podcast, and and uh, he was they were talking about. They were just like, oh, I mean, I, I just assumed that like they're a brand new band and no one's ever heard of them because I went to their Facebook and they only had two hundred followers or something. <laughs> I was like, well, dang, man, they rats. They found my secret. But um, but yeah, no, Facebook, Instagram, all those. I mean. Uh, I'm old, so I don't use Snapchat very much, but we have one, and um, and uh, YouTube. Our whole album's on YouTube. You can watch cool videos, which, again, could be cool for the live show one day, maybe. Cool videos that are for every song, um, Spotify, and all that stuff. Typically like to throw a song on at the end. Uh, yeah. What would you like the show to end with? I think... Let's see. Should I pick one that other podcasts aren't playing? <laughs> and because I want people to hear our music for the first time, hopefully, um, some of them. I'm going to pick a song from our record, and it's one that I don't think has been released by anybody, and I don't think any podcasts have played it. It's so, give you a deep cut, which I one of my favorite tracks on the record is a song called "Everything Burns," yeah. track eight. Yeah, this is the one that's got a it's got a quote from Blade Runner. Oh yeah. How stoked are you for that movie to be or the the newer movie to be coming out? I'm uh I'm nervous, but it should, it looks good. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your your night and hopefully yeah, uh get those kids on the new record. Yeah. Sorry to sorry to run. No, run no, on not you a so quick, but I got to get the got to get the kids in bed probably. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. So that was my chat with Jason Wisdom of Death Therapy, formerly becoming the Archetype. They actually just wrapped up their tour with Red a few days ago, so hopefully we'll be catching another tour announcement from them that uh, Jason was talking about in this episode. We're going to end this episode with uh, the song Everything Burns that Jason requested we end with. Uh, so if you like what you hear, you can go find Death Therapy on all the socials, uh, Facebook at Death Therapy, uh, as well as Instagram, Death Therapy. If you like this, you can head over to Bandcamp, deaththerapymetal.bandcamp.com, or if you want to tweet them, My Death Therapy. 
And while we're plugging socials, we can go ahead and get mine out of the way as well. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at John's Untitled Podcast, uh, Twitter, John's Untitled Pod, or if you want to email me for whatever reason, you can find me at John's Untitled Pod at gmail.com. That's John's J O N S, no H. We're going to leave you with the song Everything Burns, and next week we can look forward to my podcast with uh, John James Ryan Jr., the tour manager for Four Years Strong, the saxophone player from Keep Flying, and just an all around good dude. Enjoy your week. Thank you.